0: Beginning, the beginning, the beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. My name is Sean Ram, alongside Joshua Black, as usual. Joshua, how are you today? I'm good,
1: Sean. It's uh, it's nice we have your dog in the room with us uh, today, so it's always good to have an extra podcasting host here, even though we, he's not going to be on the mic. But I always love uh, animals and what they bring to the uh, to the room.
0: Yeah, so far so good. You know, it's hard for a young dog to sit still, but he's managing well. <laughs> Hopefully you don't hear him panting or anything on the uh, microphone, but uh, we're excited today because we have with us a special guest, Robin uh, Chodak. Robin left her job as a computer software systems analyst for over 20 years after the suicide of her husband in 2005. Her journey led to her transformation. She discovered new passions to write, to teach, to encourage, and to coach others. Another is dancing tango which led her to find her new husband. Robin is a certified grief, life and spiritual coach, a certified master NLP practitioner and a Reiki practitioner. And quickly for more information about Robin, you can go to www.robinchodak.com. Last name C H O D A K. Robin, welcome.
2: Thank you Sean for that introduction. Yeah,
0: you're welcome. Uh, it's a pleasure reading it, and you know you've done some interesting things—a big career shift. What led you to get into computer software systems initially?
2: Yeah, yeah, that definitely is a big shift. You definitely use your your left brain skills and your analytical skills, and I would write computer software, so there's was always exercising my left brain. I had a passion for languages and when I was younger and I liked technologies, so that's how I ended up in that path. That was my career for a long time but it was very interesting that I just used my left brain so much so that other part of me, that right brain size, just didn't get exercised enough. I didn't really have the balance at that time. And then I began to discover new things, as you had mentioned, on my journey. And the the, the right brain started to come out and I found all these new passions that were the total opposite of the left brain.
1: So could you explain the uh, left brain, right brain for um, those people who don't know what you're talking about?
2: Okay. So your left brain is really where you you're storing your information in analytical terms you're kind of always processing the information through logic and when it comes to our right brain it's more the artistic side and that's where we have our creativity that's where we find that we like to dance and that's where i mm-hmm. i realize that i love to dance tango so anything creative that's coming more out of the, the right brain.
1: That's interesting. So for 20 years, you're, you weren't being creative, is that basically what you're saying?
2: Well, not in the sense. And, and if anybody is a computer programmer, in a sense you have to be creative when you're you know, writing your code, but not creative in the way where you can just really express yourself, especially through your senses. Because a lot of creativity comes out through our senses uh, dancing it 's you know you're you're you 're connecting with your partner you 're connecting with the ground or the earth and so it 's very very sensual sens- sensory oriented and that 's one of the one of the reasons I was driven to um n l p s because that is really focused on our senses as well. So when it comes to the right brain, you you, you know you're more involved with your your senses. So, so if that makes sense to you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. What was like the watershed moment, those moments near the end of your essentially computer software career where you really said to yourself, okay, You know, this is the direction where I want to go. This is now the path I want to choose because you could have, you could have stayed in the computer software um, industry and maybe added some hobbies. You know, you could have done tango on the Mm -hmm. side. You could have done, you know, uh, gotten, you know, read, researched a lot of different uh, type of creative things, you know, as a side hobby, but you consciously made this, you know, career change. What was that moment?
2: Oh, yes. Yes, Absolutely well anyone that's in software um as i was it's a very very stressful stressful job and after my husband steve died by suicide i i didn't even think at that point in time that i wanted to go on with my own life and doing something stressful was the last thing i wanted to do and i was in such a state of shock because I was the one who actually found him that I didn't go back to work for 3 months and when I went back to work it was it, I I could see that that wasn't where I needed to be I wanted to be in a different place where I could be of service maybe help some people just try to figure out my own journey and so I ended up just leaving that. And I just, I started a Facebook page. That was my first thing. I, I just wanted to, to create some awareness because in 2005 there was less awareness about suicide as there is today. There's just so much more. There's There's many more tools. There's help on social media. And so I wanted to start something. So I started my Facebook page. Everything has been a very organic process for me. I kind of just let things happen and uh, let things occur. I do a lot. I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. But I just really believe that the universe is just going to bring the people that need to find me to me. I don't know if that makes sense. (laughs) But that's how I feel.
1: No, that's uh, that's good, and I'm, I'm glad you have that. It's so like you're surrendering to what comes rather than trying to force things. And so, could you talk yeah. about your relationship with Steve Pryor? So, before he passed away, how was your relationship with him?
2: Oh yeah, we, you know, he was my, he was my soulmate. He was absolutely my soulmate. Um, I was married at a very young age. Um, I had a child. Um I didn't stay in that relationship because I knew it wasn't the one that was meant for me but at the time I was young um I would not consider an abortion that wasn't in my realm and he wanted to marry me and I said okay well we did the best we could as very young young people and we realized that uh, it wasn't you know meant to be So we parted, and then that's when Steve came into my realm. And at that point, I said, oh, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. This is the man. This is my soulmate. And we were married for four years. Everything was wonderful. And then he was diagnosed with an incurable cancer. It was called mantle cell lymphoma. And at that time, back in nineteen nineties nineteen ninety 1998, 1999, they didn't have a cure for that. And no one really made it past six years of living. And he was diagnosed with that. He had a bone marrow transplant, full body radiation, chemotherapy, and he never was able to go back to work since that all of that treatment. And that i think led to his depression but he he was the doctor had said he was in remission that every time he would get tested the cancer had not reoccurred so <clears throat> for me when i came home to find him i was in total shock because i in my mind you know he was in remission and you know i knew he wasn't feeling well but i didn't have any clue and this is what happens a lot of times with with um people that have lost their loved ones to suicide they oftentimes don't know the depth of their pain because the person in pain often wants to guard us from that they don't want us to know about their pain that's number 1 and number 2 oftentimes they don't even know how to express their own emotions my relationship was it was wonderful we had a you know a wonderful relationship and like i said until the end but i knew that he didn't do this to hurt me or to hurt anyone i knew i i came to that realization it was because he was in so much pain and he could not find another way out of it mm-hmm. but i had to work through all that myself and that was part of my grief journey and that's why i do what i do to try to help people on theirs mm-hmm.
1: So on, on your journey, what kind of questions were you asking yourself? So you finally sort of got to a point where you understood why he did. Like, what was that journey like to get to that point? And how long did it take?
2: Oh, well, I always say when, 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 I, when you're on a journey like this, I, I, I call it a journey for, forever. This is a journey we'll always be on. I, I'm calling it a journey of recovery because I believe that we are constantly recovering from something in our life and that we really need to recover from from who we are not and what i mean by that is we need to know who we really are and go back to who we are so we have to recover from our false sense of self if you want to put it that way but my journey caused me to transform because i had to just reevaluate all of my beliefs everything i thought i believed in um, about people about god about existence about my life about my dreams and just really really just let go of everything and just just bare my soul and and just say okay what does all this mean and i really believe that you know steve gave me a lot of signs and a lot of messages on my journey
1: so, what kind of questions were you asking though along that way? So, when someone dies by suicide, what kind of questions were coming up, and what kind of emotions was that um, hitting in you?
2: Okay. Well, the question I think that comes up. Um, well, for me, you know, everyone has such unique experiences, but I think that we all we all feel a sense of what could I have done to stop this. What could I have done? Why it's these what ifs and these why questions. Why did I go to work that day? Mm. Why didn't I stay home? Why, 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 why? That's the that's the the biggest thing that most uh, survivors of the, the the people that I coach that they have to overcome because it's it's as as if we're holding ourselves responsible. Mm. But the truth is that we can never be responsible for any any other person's
1: actions. That's nice. I think that's good advice um, to sort of to take, to take a step back from the situation and just realize people are their own entities and you can't save mm-hmm. them all, you know. And so it's about realizing and watching it and see, I think, you know, what does that bring in, inside of you? And I think that's where you're saying you're transformed is that throughout the journey, um, you're asking these questions, but you're also asking questions about yourself. Is that true?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You begin to really discover who you are and what your beliefs are. Hmm. That's what I did.
1: Mm -hmm. That's interesting. And so, because you call them a soulmate, and I think this is very interesting. So what is, what is that to you? Because a lot of people, when they think of soulmates, or I hear it a lot, they think they're going to be together forever. Um, is that a little different now? Is it more, is it something else? Because now you say you've transformed, you learn a lot about who you are. Um, so what would, how would you, you know, I guess, interpret all that?
2: Oh, yeah, I know soulmate is a, it's a, it's a, it's a, <laughs> has a lot of meanings to a lot of people. But for me, uh, it's, a, it's a connection. It's a connection. I think we can have a lot of soulmates. So that's a myth that, you know, I've written a couple books and I'm always breaking myths that people have and people always, some people have said that you can only have one soulmate. Well, I don't believe that because I'm remarried and I believe that Steve had a lot to do with me finding this man, (laughs) okay? And so I have the soul connection with this man and I believe that this man has a, a soul connection with Steve's soul. I think that we're, we're all connected, okay? So it's, it's a, a connection that we have. So I don't think it has anything. I guess you, would, you could say it is eternal because the souls. this is energy. This, our, so everything is energy, and this energy exists forever. So you could say, yeah, it's, a, it's eternal. But it's, it's a connection that you have with another soul. That's okay, what I, I call I it. Soulmate. Yeah. So <laughs> as
1: you move forward, you continue to have this connection. So it doesn't seem like it ceases. It just continues on in a different form as you meet other soulmates at the same time. So you can have multiple soulmates at the same time.
2: I believe that. I do. Do you believe yeah. that?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just trying to like, just like asking the questions, right? And getting people to understand sort yeah. of what you right? mean by what you say. So that's really cool. So I'm happy about that. So can you lead us along maybe your grief journey? So, you're asking these questions and how did you get into wanting to coach and write and, and dance? Like, how did that all come about? Because that was new for you.
2: Yeah, it, it was new. Everything, because what happens is, you know, when you are connected and your identity is so connected with another person and we, when you love so deeply and you cherish a relationship and that, the way I felt with Steve, it it was a wonderful relationship. But so when that severed, part of me was gone and I felt my identity was gone. And so I had to go and create a new identity. And it it is difficult. It's very difficult. It's it's painful, but it's necessary if you're going to continue and not get in a stuck state, and if you're going to continue processing your grief, it, it's necessary to do these things that are difficult, and you do them, you know, little by little, and oftentimes you, you take a few steps forward, and then, you know, you fall back, but you just keep moving. But all along, I, I believed that Steve was with me, and I believed that Steve what was like my driving force. And I had signs from him. And and so I just kept moving and moving forward. And the more that I would move forward, the more things would happen that would be good in my life, like finding Tango. And then Tango led me to meet the man that I'm married to now. So a lot of good things. And then, you know, going back to school to to start this new career and then getting certified in reiki wanting to do that so all the journey you know kept moving me forward to keep creating to do keep doing new things
0: that's amazing to hear and it seems like all along the way you you kind of had this knowledge or wisdom about how to do it like i mean setting up your facebook group uh in 2005 i mean that that took a lot that took some insight and knowledge into what was required because you know from what i'm learning about grief and recovering and loss is that you know number one is you don't necessarily want to isolate yourself you know you want to give yourself time to grieve but it's always good to kind of be in groups and and be in all these uh new things you know you're obviously doing dance in a group and you're uh you get your your facebook group and that seems to be a really smart thing to do
2: yeah, no, yeah, that you hit it on the head, Sean. That that's a number. It's a very key point about not isolating yourself, and that's why there are groups. There, there's the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. They have uh, an organization that people that are have lost loved ones to suicide could come into the group, you know, and all gather in an evening, and and there's a facilitator. Well, I had been trained to be a facilitator to, you know, help people when they came into the group. So they just needed to have someone to talk with, someone that could understand their journey. And so it's exactly as you said, that, that you know, if if we're isolated, we can't really do that and we can't move forward.
1: No, that's that's great, and I'm I'm glad you're you're helping others. Um, because I know, like one thing I've realized too along the way is that you know people need to relate to certain types of losses. So, of loss by suicide, um, people f- can normalize that um, those emotions a little bit more because they ask different questions. And so, on your journey, did you ever utilize a group yourself, or was it something you just came about afterwards? You want to actually run a group?
2: Oh, um, yeah, I was definitely part of a group that. That I loved. It was it was called Lost uh, Loving Outreach of Suicide Survivors. It's it's in the Chicago area. I don't I'm not really sure if it's um, world wide right now. But yeah, absolutely. That's another thing you said that you really hit on the head too about different groups because in different types of losses. Because I have a a good friend of mine who. Who lost her her pet, her cat, and she went to a pet support group, and she would often share things with me, and I found it very interesting, and and I think I I wrote about it in my book because the, the people in the pet support group were more open to to talking and verbalizing and. I found in in the suicide support group it's 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 difficult it's more difficult for the people so I don't know it's it's just I'm not That's really That's a great sure. point. I That's think a very that good point. We need to have a greater awareness, you know. Yeah.
0: That's a good point cuz in different groups you're going to get different, you know, you're going to get something out of it in in different forms like for instance like you said You know, if you're in a group for pet loss, they're just going to sympathize with you and empathize with you in a way different way than someone who probably didn't have a pet that might, you know, people might feel a little bit like not validated as much as if it was a human loss. So, you know, and suicide would be the same as that where, you know, you're not getting the kind of stigma or biases kind of connected to them. So I think that's helpful and I think the other side's helpful as well whereas you're joining groups that maybe aren't related directly to your loss or grief or or specific issue Um, because you could get a lot of benefit from that like if you just some people might do like yoga or or meditation or or, uh, you know maybe just painting maybe you're joining a group and you're painting you know that those are different forms of therapy as well so you know I, I like that you've you've seems like you've tried both and and kind of see benefit from both
2: oh yeah absolutely and and it's it goes back to what you said about the isolation it's i think that's the it's not a a good long long term solution for anyone to to isolate themselves i mean yes, we absolutely need our quiet time and our space, but especially in the grieving process, you need to not isolate, you need to be with others who you know understand you, but in addition to that, yeah, absolutely, yoga groups, everything you mentioned, those are perfect, perfect outlets, you know, just to get you out, get get you out of the house, get you connected, just to be around other people, and they're their energy, you know. Hopefully, it's positive. You want to be around positive energy. You don't want to be around that negative energy.
1: Right. Yeah, but it's tough in grief, right? Because a lot of it is negative. Because there's a lot of questions, a lot of self doubt, um, low self esteem, depression. Right. So, uh, it's oh, it's right. one of those things where it's you just got to hold space, and by holding space, people can find their balance and find where they should be, because uh, it's very it's very difficult, and you know, um, and. I guess since you've led groups yourself, what are some other common challenges that you see that those people face that have lost someone due to suicide?
2: Other ch- Well, a lot of the... It, it's, sadly, it just doesn't stop with uh, the person that, who has died by suicide. It trickles down into other family dynamics. And oftentimes... People want to blame and place blame on other people hmm. because they just want to find some answers or some validation. But that's a that's a problem. That's, I, I see that a lot.
1: That's interesting. And do people are people ashamed to talk about the person because they might or even bring it up because they may get asked how they died? I know people tend to ask me when my father passed away, how he passed away. Um, And is there like shame that goes along with that?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, I think it's, I think because there's more suicide awareness now, I think it's a little easier, but as the person that's lost someone, we have our own issues going on. So I remember when Steve died, I I just, he was a, a political figure in our our village and everybody everybody knew of him and even at the state level and his death was publicized in the local papers which made it even more difficult for me because part of it i didn't want to go out of my house because i was afraid i was going to get stopped because i was i was worried that they they what they thought like did they think he he committed some political crime, or did did these people think we had a horrible marriage, or, you know, your mind is just, it's so confused, and, and, and so you just really, really get stuck, and there is, to answer your question, yes, but the individual has shame oftentimes about the suicide
0: one thing that we're discovering with learning about this topic and researching it and finding out the best way to kind of have people talk about it more and communicate about grief and loss is that you know we seem to be it looks like we need to get back into communities looks like we need to get back to talking with each other everybody around you and kind of really discussing these type of topics as a community as a tribe do you feel like we're Moving away from that, do you agree with that, and how can we get back into that? How can we really because you know you've, you've got too many th- you've got a lot of things that you're kind of researching and interested in, uh, but they all kind of link together in, in that sense of community and sharing how How do we get back to that?
2: yeah that's <laughs> that's a that's a good question overall, not only related to this, it's almost as it back to community. Because some people view the way our culture is going that we are, you know, it's less community. And and some studies have shown that use of the Internet for young children or, you know, the, the, the technology, the, the iPhones and, you know, the iPads and the Internet. This is some studies are showing that there's it's causing depression. And so we have to step back and say, well, is it because we're not interacting anymore. We're so caught up in just really focusing on that one little tool. We're looking at that iPhone, even if there's somebody sitting next to us. So are we losing the the skill of really, you know, connecting with another person who is in the room with us and and really trying to understand them and get to know them? You know, it's a it's a it's a it's a dilemma because I see social media being a very good tool in very good positive ways, but on the other hand, there's the negative. And you're absolutely right, community. How do you do it? You you try to just create more gatherings. You know, you have some big event out in the park, or you you try to do that. Bring actual bodies physical bodies together. I think that's why people like to go to religious ceremonies or, or, or certain events or weddings or whatever. We bring the bodies together, <laughs> you know, and we're we're kind of removing ourselves from that, I, I, I think. I don't know. What do you think about it? I'd be curious, you know.
0: Well, I I think there's something to what you said with physical bodies coming together. You know, there's there's something with they've done studies in the past where you can kind of obviously close your eyes and you can feel someone enter the room, even if you might not see them like there's energies, right? There's there's certain Mm -hmm. vibes uh, and we're learning more Mm -hmm. about that as science gets more progressive. We're learning more about what these energies actually are on a scientific basis. But there's something to that. And, you know, people, whether, you know, you can join a Facebook group, but are you Physically, they're a part of that, you know. And excuse me, I know that I, when I visit home, I visit my family. There's an energy there. There's something that's different than me sitting, you know, hundred kilometers away. Um, and even hearing a voice, even a phone call, is different than texting. So I agree with you um, as far as how we do that. I think we're beginning to ask that question. I think because I think a lot of people are finding that things are amiss. In terms of community mm-hmm. and in terms of neighbors, just look at, you know, where do you live? Do you talk to your neighbors? Do you have a rapport with them? And in my situation, a lot of times, no, you know, it might be a casual, hi, how's it going when you see them, but there's no real like neighborly kind of connection. And those are people that live around me. And so that's a little bit concerning.
2: Right, right. Yeah. And I bet if you spoke with your parents, I mean, they, they probably, they see in that generation, they have watched The transition okay but now these kids right now that are maybe 10 11 years old 12 they have not seen that transition they grew up with the social media and the iPhones so they're they're not uh, experiencing what your parents have experienced or my parents or we have even in a sense and and so it is it is a very big challenge and and I'm like you I would like to see it go away and I agree absolutely about the energy because everything is energy and I know that it's different when I'm in someone's presence but I also know at the same time that I get a very sense I can get a sense of Steve's energy around at times but again, it's, it's not in the physical realm. And so it's kind of funny. It's like our social media is almost creating a realm that's beyond the physical.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I got asked this question once from a friend as, uh, and they said, uh, you know, how do I know that when I associate or socialize that it's good for me? And I, I just simply said one thing. I said, well, how do you feel after? Because there's some people that when you socialize with certain friends or what relatives or what have you, you feel drained. You feel you know you don't feel good after. But there's other people that after you know hanging out with them, you feel great, feel uplifting, you feel energized, and that's just a basic indicator of like, hey, who are you hanging out with, and are they providing for you? Right. Well,
2: and I think that's part of that's absolutely right. That's what I I tell my clients. It's very important to to begin to exactly what you said. It's a perfect question. How do you feel after you've been in their presence? And I really think that so many people are desensitized, and, and, and especially after a grief experience, because you're kind of in shock. So you have to come back to that place of, okay, how am I feeling? And, and it's important to you know, get in tune with your energies and know well, when I'm with this person, I, I'm feeling really good because they're validating them, or you know, they're comforting them. But then when they're with someone else, they're feeling really bad. Well, it's important to begin to understand that, and so you know, you keep your distance from those that aren't gonna, aren't going to serve your energies, you know. And that's what I I, I teach. That's what I believe in, and and so energy work is very very important, and and it's a, it's a key to to becoming aware of that, especially in the grieving process.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, And that's, I guess, leads into sort of your Reiki and and why you do that, because it's based on sort of energy. Um, um, So moving on, uh, what about dreams? So have you seen in, uh, in the work that you have done that people ever bring up Uh, these dreams of the deceased uh, after someone dies by suicide is there any kind of like common theme that you see
2: i haven't seen i can't say that i have seen a common theme Mm -hmm. and what i can say is that a lot of times my clients they'll say oh i really want a dream they Mm -hmm. desire that dream they desire a visit i would say you know you call it a visit or a sign and I tell them that it's not something that you can force. And what I've learned from Steve is that he's not going to come visit me or give me a sign if I'm in a lot of pain. <laughs> he doesn't want. I say he's already been in that realm. Okay, they've lived in pain. They've they're in a realm of no pain now. So why would they want to come back? and en- visit in their pain, right?
1: Well, it, it's interesting, because I've, I've seen a lot of different dreams and a lot of different things. And a lot of times, people do get dreams right away. Like, they're in deep in the grief process, and they get, sometimes they're positive dreams, sometimes they're negative. Um, but what the, you know, what the soul chooses to, you know, that's, that's not my sort of beef, but I've seen a lot of positive dreams while people are in deep grief. So, and they would call those, Mm -hmm. uh, many of those call them visitation. So it's still a very mystery on why certain people get dreams, and other people don't. But like in the research I'm doing, a lot has to do with their dream recall. So if they remember dreams, Mm -hmm. normally they're more likely to have, uh, these remember some of these dreams. So the theory that sort of I've sort of been working with is that they're probably dreaming of the deceased. They're just not remembering it when they wake up. And so that changes, I think, how people, I think, view these dreams and view the rationale to why they don't have these dreams. But yeah, like, as you're saying, it is very common how people want these dreams for different reasons. And sometimes it's just to feel comforted, to feel loved, to make sure the person's safe if they haven't had one yet, if they believe the visitation. So yeah, it's uh, there's multiple reasons, uh, but yeah, it's interesting that you do say that people do want these, so it is desirable for the most part, especially when they're positive. And so, have you have ever had a dream of of Steve?
2: Yeah, I've had actually. I I, ha, I do dream a lot. I've dream I've had dreams my whole life. I journaled my dreams. After he died, I went to a person to help me with dreams, and I. It was very interesting because some of them seemed scary or frightening at the time. But this school of thought was that every dream is going to lead to something positive in the dream. It's always going to bring a positive message if you begin to learn how to analyze your dreams. And so that was very comforting. As I worked through them, and the other thing was this school of thought, because, as you know if you this is your field of study, there's a lot of schools of of thoughts on dreams, but that every person in your dream is really an aspect of you, so i don't and I thought that was very interesting as well, so yes, I have to answer your question. I have had lots of dreams about you know with Steve on but after I analyzed, they seemed scary at the time, but they really weren't. It was just really me working out my grief journey. And I had a, one time I had this recurring dream. I, I had a lot of dreams about my car, about my car getting stolen. Like just different situations. It's always getting stolen or I'd get in the car to drive it and there was no steering wheel. <laughs> Sounds kind of crazy, yeah. but as I began to analyze them, it was a car for me is a symbol of, you know, you get or most people, you're trying to get to your destination. And it was very apropos for my journey because Steve, the whole entire time we were ever married for 10 years, he always did the driving, always, always drove every place we went. So after he died, now I had to drive alone not actually, you know, so it's a metaphor. I had to learn how to drive my life alone.
1: That's cool. And could you talk about, it's very interesting, um, but the changes in how your dreams can resemble, uh, what you're going through in waking life. So could you talk about maybe one of those negative dreams that you had with Steve to give listeners maybe a way to, that you found to interpret it that may help them?
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, one of them I was this was early on. Um, I was in a boat, and we were we were on a lake, and a storm came up, and he went overboard, and I thought that he was eaten by a shark, <laughs> and they never found his body. Then, That's as I began to analyze it, I realized it was me being eaten up by my grief and they never, I could never find his body because his body had been transitioned to, the physical body had been transitioned to another realm.
1: That's interesting, yeah. And as long as I gave you comfort, I think that's great in the sense of taking something that's negative when you wake up, right, and very disturbing, you know, no one really wants that dream of a loved one and turning (laughs) into something positive to sort of see how it relates to your grief. And I think that's, that's great. And I'm glad you did that because you're able to move forward with that rather than just hanging on to this sort of negative feeling in your life. Have you ever had any positive dreams of Steve or they all been negative?
2: Uh, I'm trying to think if I've had one. Well, you know, I have, you know, there's, they call, you know, lucid dreaming, waking dreaming. I, I actually, was going to just write a blog about it this week because it just happened very recently. I was at a um a concert and it the, the group is called the The Doors of Chicago. So you remember the Doors and Steve was a musician. He was a big fan of the Doors and th- th- I had so many signs that happened at the concert. Number one was that in intermission, the lead singer came out, and I got to speak with him. And I actually told him that I had, I said to him, I said, I was at your cemetery. You were buried at Le, at Père Lachaise in, you know, in Paris, and I was there with my husband, Steve, on your grave. <laughs> I told him this. I thought that was kind of weird, but I did, okay? <laughs> And then he got up on stage and he said to the audience, if you want to come visit me at the, at the cemetery, I'm there in Paris. And I thought that was really weird. Right.
0: Tommy Morrison, right?
2: Yes. Jimmy, yes. Jimmy, Morrison. Oh, Jimmy Morrison. Yeah. From the, from the doors. Yeah. He's fantastic. And uh, so that's why Steve and I made the trip to Paris. You know, he was a big guitar player. Steve was a big guitar player wanted to hear the doors so then this group came to my area and I went to see them. And then almost at the end of the concert, there was some rows available right up front, and I went up front to get closer, and it was really strange because the 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 person disguising as Jim Morrison, he had the vest. There was this famous vest that Jim Morrison used to wear. It was called the Hollywood vest, Hollywood bowl vest. And he brought it over to me and put it on me. And that was weird. And and then I was kind of dancing to the music and I looked and I could see Steve on the backstage next to Jim, the real Jim Morrison and I could see what Steve had on, and they were playing guitar. And so you ask, people ask, okay, is that a dream? I don't know, it was,
1: well, but if you're it awake, was a
2: feeling, if you're, <laughs> what's
1: that? If you're awake, so this was not a like a dream, you're actually awake, you're at the concert, and you had this experience, uh, it wouldn't be a dream. Um, some people would say it'd be a vision, uh, maybe, or just a sign. Um, but a dream is when you're actually sleeping.
2: Right. Okay. So it was definitely, I saw this plain as day. And then at the end of the concert, I um, he asked for the vest. So I got up on stage, gave him the vest. He gave me a hug. And then at the end of the concert, I felt really compelled to want to speak with this young man that was, you know, singing. And uh, he, he came out and I did. I told him about Steve. And I asked him, I said, do you, are you very spiritual? and he looked at me initially. He thought I was on drugs, (laughs) you know, and I told him what happened. I, he said, well, and then at the end he gave me a hug and, you know, I believed that was a hug from Steve.
1: That's beautiful. And I'm glad you continue to feel Steve in your life as you sort of move forward because you need that. And and as you saw, even though you have a new relationship, it's still something that you do desire because you have so much love for him. What kind of dream would you want now if you could? So uh, it doesn't seem like you had a positive dream yet. So what kind of positive dream would you want of Steve if you could tonight? Hmm.
2: I I, hmm. I think if I had a dream, I would just like to be in his, just sit just sit in his presence because i don't i don't i wouldn't ask him anything i would just sit in his presence and i would want to receive that enlightened energy that he has because i i believe he's in this pure wonderful enlightened
1: existence
2: and if i could just sit with him and share that with him
1: that would be a great dream well, that'd be nice. So he's doing a little Reiki on you. <laughs> <laughs> there you That's go. Really I like cool. That. I like that. And then, so what do you think he will be wearing? So what would you want him to wear?
2: Oh, I would definitely want him to wear his blue jeans and his striped shirt and probably have his his slide on that he plays guitar with. They call playing slide guitar because he, he loved music. Mm. And and I would just probably be wearing my blue jeans
1: and a t-shirt. And where would you be? So you said you're in a room somewhere? Or you'd be outside? Mm.
2: You know, I would be sitting out in the backyard. Mm. Very nice and it's, it's it's very calm and very green, and a lot of trees. It's just real low key. You play music, you you listen to music, you're relaxed and just really being surrounded with nature
1: oh it sounds beautiful yeah i really hope you have that dream it it sounds sounds beautiful um to experience something like that as you move forward
2: yeah and maybe that'll happen sean you know i think that you know intention right i could set my intention to have that beautiful dream i just described
0: You know, and and that's something we promote. And it's a simple idea. These are all simple concepts, but I think they're powerful. And these are the conversations that we talk about community. Now we can have some tools to go out and reach out to our own individual communities and ask your uh, your loved ones, ask some friends and families and neighbors and ask them some questions about their loss, you know, promote uh, those conversations and if you know, we ask someone else if they've had a loss, if they could manifest a dream, you know, take these tools with you. And we encourage you to do that. Um, so, Robin, our, our time is winding down, but it's been a pleasure talking with you. We we touched upon a lot of different topics and we got some really great insights from you. And um, it just sounds like, you know, you learned right away, you learned a long time ago. And I think the career shift was a part of it. But uh, I think you're gaining a, a lot of beneficial things and you're, it seems like you're helping a lot of people as well, so I want to thank you for that
2: Oh yes, thank you so much sean it's just It's been great talking with you and and I will definitely you know make sure I bring this topic of dreams up maybe to a, a you know to the forefront that's a, those are good questions and it could be you you've kind of enlightened me with how much it could be comforting to someone. Just to ask them if they could have this dream, what it would be like. That's very cool. Yeah. Thank you for that.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, that's something Joshua will attest to. Um, uh, and I, I attest to for sure at that it starts the conversation, you know, simple interactions. I mean, I've seen, I remember I was with Joshua Black one time at a grocery store and he had asked uh, the cashier, you know, what her tattoos meant. And that led to her talking about her own loss. And, and it's just simple interactions like that that are really the, the, the real key that I think we're missing in society. But if people want to ask you a question, Robin, and they can have a conversation with you, they can reach you at uh, your website, which is again, www.RobinChodak.com. Um, so Robin, R-O-B-I-N, last name Chodak, C-H-O-D-A-K.com. So I'm sure Robin would love to answer your questions and speak with you there. Please check out our platform at GriefDreams.ca for more information on the topic. If you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams Facebook group. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Grief Dreams. And this podcast can be found on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and many other podcasting platforms. iHeartRadio right now. Um, if you're interested in being a guest on our podcast, please email us your story and what you would like to share at Grief Dreams Podcast, sorry, grief dreams podcast at gmail.com. Ah, uh, so we love to end our podcast uh, with love and gratitude from us to you. The new beginning.